In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So Dean Grace, there was this rabbi, and he was driving past the golf course on the Sabbath. And as he was driving by, he realized there was no one on the golf course. That never happens. He thought, I could get in there and get a good game. But it's the Sabbath. He knew he couldn't violate the Sabbath by playing sports. So he was really tempted back and forth. But finally, he says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So he parked. He broke the Sabbath. And he started playing golf. And it was a remarkable game. Hole in one. Another hole in one. A great game. Best game of his life. While this is happening, the angels are saying to God, look what he's doing. He's breaking the Sabbath. And God's like, just wait, just wait. And again, the best game is goes on, hole after hole after hole. Great game, great game. And the angels are so upset and they're saying to God, look at this rabbi. He's breaking the Sabbath. And God's like, just wait, just wait, just wait. He finishes the 18th hole again, the best game of his life. The rabbi's like, Praise God, this is amazing. And the angels are just besides themselves, and they're saying to God, why did you do that? Why did you let him do that? He had the best game while he was violating the Sabbath. God just smiled and said, yeah, but who's he going to tell? <laughs> Part of a good game is the brag rights, right? So friends, we know that the Sabbath is very important to God. Which is why as his children, we should try more and more to allow the Sabbath to be important to us. Now when we speak about the Sabbath, I just want to clarify our terms. Biblically, when we speak of the Sabbath, we're speaking about Saturday. And that is still observed by our Jewish forebears. So we want to honor and respect that. But as Christians, we moved worship and the call to rest. All the demands of the Sabbath, we moved to the first day of the week to Sunday. We did that because our Lord rose on a Sunday. So every Sunday Mass is a little Easter. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we speak of Sunday as the Christian Sabbath, or more properly we refer to the Lord's Day. I want to clarify those terms because when I speak of the Sabbath, obviously I'm preaching to Christians, so I'm speaking of the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day. But I do want to honor the Sabbath of our Jewish forebears which is still, is still being celebrated and observed by Jewish people today. But I want to clarify those, that, those terms. All right, the heart of the Sabbath given to us by God is worship. So we want to start with worship. Because we want to make sure we get worship right so we can get life right. As human beings, we were made by God and for God. We are hardwired for worship. It's in our spiritual DNA. If we don't worship God or worship him well, we cause chaos in our souls. Our souls will search for something, pine and yearn for something to worship. And most of the time that ends up being ourselves. We fall into selfishness and self-worship. And so it is healthy living to actively participate in worship on the Lord's day. The church has a clear vision of what the Lord's Day should look like. The church envisions that we wake up early, that we prepare well for the day, and that we begin the Lord's Day with heartfelt worship. In this way, our worship becomes the standard and the springboard for our entire observance of the Sabbath. It is seen, the Sunday worship is seen and lived as the most important thing we do all week. Families should be together. 
parents should be with their children on the Sabbath. I know sometimes out of necessity, one parent will go to one mass, another parent will go to a different mass, the older teens will be at a different mass. And when that is demanded and necessary, then certainly it could be done. It's just good that everyone gets to mass. But the real vision of the church is that families are together, that children are with their parents, and that dad is with the family for worship. It is essential that the norm be that the Christian family is together on the day of worship. There are so many other things that divide the Christian family. Worship should not be one of them. We come together as God's people. You come together as families, as the domestic church, in order to join the parish church as we offer the holy sacrifice. Now, once we begin to realize that we have been brought together, we come together, but we have been gathered together by the Holy Spirit as a Christian community in order to worship God in spirit and truth. Once you realize that, things begin to change. Because it's not simply I've decided to worship or I'm coming to worship. It's I have been brought together with other believers in order that we can worship. There's very much a communal sense to worship. Realize that when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, he created a covenant with his people. We become parts of that covenant at baptism. God didn't make a covenant singly, uniquely with just us, our individual selves. God created a covenant with his people. And we receive that identity of baptism, and we come and exercise our place in his people, in his covenant, especially at worship. But all this becomes problematic in our society today. Because we have what's called the vertical reality, and we have the horizontal reality. The vertical reality is simple enough. It's just our relationship with God. So we worship God. We work on our life of prayer. We allow ourselves to be molded and shaped by supernatural realities. As St. Paul says, we walk by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. That's the vertical reality. But then there's the horizontal reality. And the horizontal reality is our relationships with one another. And that's very important. We're called to have holy fellowship. But as important as horizontal is, it's subordinate to the vertical. Because the horizontal, if it's going to be done well, depends on the vertical, our relationship with God. As one spiritual master says, if we're not talking to God, we have nothing to say to one another. And can't we see it in our society today? We don't have anything substantial to say to one another, which is why we're just in, in, indulging in gossip and slander, calumny, detraction. Because if we're not talking to God, there's nothing really important that we can say to one another. So if we're going to have a substantial horizontal relationship with one another, that vertical needs to be strong and robust. But that flies in the face of our secular world and of our selfish hearts. No, no, no. We want to be the center of attention. We want the euphoria. We want the good emotions. We want the subjective satisfaction. All that's selfish. People will come to worship and they will try to allow the horizontal to overtake the vertical, just crush the vertical. No, 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 don't talk about God. We have to talk about each other. No, 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 we shouldn't have sacred silence. We should be chatting with one another even though we have nothing really substantial to say. The vertical is always under attack by our fallen hearts and especially by a secular society. Friends, the fact that we have to work so diligently just to keep our church as a place of quiet and prayer is reflective enough of the battle to preserve the vertical. You imagine people come to church 
and they walk into church and they want to talk, oftentimes about ridiculous things. So when they can speak anywhere else in the world, they choose to come to a sacred place marked by sacred silence in order to chit-chat. And sometimes they don't even realize what they're doing. Their selfish heart, they just can't be quiet. They just can't sit in the presence of God. They're awkward. It's uncomfortable. Yes, it's called the presence of God. He's got some things to work on. One of our philosophers, Blaise Pascal, said, Wars happen because humanity cannot sit quietly alone in its own room. Once we destroy the vertical, then the horizontal, it becomes a mess. But that vertical is always under attack which is why we always have to argue and fight and defend it. Whether it's a sacred place, sacred actions, the, the holiness of our own hearts, the sacredness of the sacraments. Just this past week, we had a funeral, and people came into a funeral. This just shocks me, even as I say it. They came into a funeral, and they're talking during the funeral. Do I really have to stop and remind people, human beings, who should have basic civility, that you don't talk during a funeral? That there's a family that's grieving? There are friends who are grieving? Prayers are being offered? The sacrifice is being presented? But that's where we are. We really do have to remind people, please don't talk at funerals. You see how that horizontal... Wants to take over the vertical? That's not just in terms of our sacred place and our sacred action. That's in terms of our souls. But I would encourage you to guard the sacredness, the vertical dimension of your own heart. Remind yourself, you have nothing substantial to say to anyone if you're not first talking to God and then listening to him. So we have to be careful of the horizontal overtaking, usurping, doing this coup d'etat of the vertical. As we speak about worship, it's worth reminding ourselves that no worship is superior to the holy sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. That the sacrifice of the eternal Son of God to his Father is the preeminent, superior, infinitely superior sacrifice, the preeminent form of worship. Nothing even comes close to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to the Father. And that one sacrifice offered by the Lord Jesus over 2,000 years ago is mystically, supernaturally, powerfully made present here at this altar when we celebrate the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And there is nothing superior to the Mass. Nothing. This is the Lord's own sacrifice presented by the Holy Spirit for us, the people of God, especially on the Sabbath. That's why it grieves me when I hear Catholics Talk about services. Oh, I go to 9 o'clock service. <laughs> what parish do you go to? <laughs> we don't have services here. We have masses. You want a service, you need to go down to the Methodist or the Presbyterian church. There's no service here. The Protestant tradition refers to services because they are in rebellion. They are protesting against what we claim about the Catholic mass. So when a Catholic calls this a service... They are stripping the depth of the worship that has been given to us by God. We refer to the church's worship by the names that the church has given us. This is a mass. And if you're saying service because you're embarrassed about being a Roman Catholic, then you have some things to work on. 
Because we need to speak boldly and remind humanity of what has been given to us. And that all men and women are called to this sacrifice. All men and women are called to worship God, especially on the Sabbath. This is a mass. This is a mass. And we have to call what we do properly. This is the greatest gift ever given to us. It is the highest form, the preeminent, the most superior form of worship ever given to the human family. Which is why when we come to Mass, especially on the Sabbath, we should prepare for it. Now this is going to rattle some cages. But we've talked about this before here at Our Lady of Grace. We have to prepare for Sunday worship. First, that means we come early. We prepare. We look at the readings and the prayers of the Mass. We make sure we dress well. We once spoke about church clothes. huh? We need to bring that back. Because oftentimes people come look like bums and they try to hide behind the poor. Don't do that. You disgrace yourself. You're coming to Sunday Mass. This is the most important thing you do all week. You have to make sure that you are ready to present yourself to God for worship. We are called to dress well, to dress our best. You know, among houses of worship, there's a joke. If you drive past a house of worship and everyone's well-dressed and well-groomed and looks good, oh, <laughs> that's, those are the Mormons, okay, right? If you drive past a house of worship and they all look like bums, like they just rolled out of bed and that they don't want to be there, oh, that's the Catholics, right? That's our reputation. That's what people think about us. That's what people think that we, that's what people assume that we think about the Mass and about worship. We can do better. We have to prepare ourselves for sacrifice. The scriptures use this powerful term that we present ourselves for worship. Ooh. We present ourselves for worship. And we pray that God receives what we are offering. Imagine that. When you come to Sunday Mass, you are presenting yourself. This is what I've done this past week. This is what I've been able to do by your grace. This is where I could have done better. These are the joys and the happiness that I'm bringing to you. These are the sorrows and the sufferings. We present ourselves for worship. We have prepared well. And we, again, need to retrieve that notion. If we're going to get the Sabbath right, we have to start with worship. We have to make sure we get worship right. I heard a story of one young family here at the parish where they realized that they couldn't come too early to Mass because the little ones would get rambunctious. So what they started doing is they started waking up early and they started having pre-church at home. They even called it that pre-church, right? And they would sit around as a family, they would look at the readings and the prayers for the mass, and then they would conclude by every member of the family having to say one thing that they're grateful for. And they were told by their parents, now remember to offer that at the altar during the Eucharistic sacrifice. Now that family did that at home, and then they came, and they still came to mass early. They still got here earlier than a lot of other Catholics, huh? But they understood we have to prepare. They looked at their vocation, the state of affairs for their family, and they said, okay, well, our kids are going to make a lot of noise, so we're going to do this at home. We're going to prepare. They didn't dismiss it. Oh, we can't do that. Oh, no, we're too busy. Or they took it seriously. We have to prepare for worship. And they started doing that as a family. And you don't have to guess how much the Lord's going to be able to bless them. That marriage, that family because of their willingness to prepare well for worship and to receive the blessings of worship. We know, that, as we have emphasized repeatedly here at Our Lady of Grace, that we have to actively and consciously participate in the Mass. That's why we did that whole series for the past two and a half years. 
in order to help us. Listen to what the Second Vatican Council says about our participation at Mass. Mother Church earnestly desires that all the faithful should be led to that fully conscious and active participation in liturgical celebrations which is demanded by the very nature of the liturgy. In the restoration and promotion of the sacred liturgy, this full and active participation by all the people is the aim to be considered before all else. For it is the primary and indispensable source from which the faithful are to derive the true Christian spirit, and therefore pastors of souls must zealously strive to achieve it by means of the necessary instruction in all their pastoral work. So what's the Second Vatican Council saying? Well, we've talked about this. They're saying teach the faithful how to participate in the sacred sacrifice, the holy sacrifice. And what did most people do with this? They turned the mass into a zoo, into a circus. Everyone's got to be active. Let's do something. You get a ministry, you get a ministry, everything, woo, right? But then the real work wasn't being done. To consciously and actively participate. That is first a spiritual reality. To understand the different parts of the mass. What I'm supposed to be doing as a baptized Christian what, what in this part of the Mass is being called forth from me? And here the Second Vatican Council is pretty stern. In fact, did you catch the part? And therefore, pastors of souls must zealously strive to achieve it. Has that been your experience the past several decades? Have the pastors of the church zealously strove in order to help you be more actively and consciously particip particip participating in the Mass? Regrettably, for most people, that has not been their experience, which is why we're in the situation we are now. People come to Mass and they expect to be entertained. They come to Mass and they treat it as a commodity. Oh, I don't like that Mass. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go here. And they're not searching for best doctrine, most beautiful liturgy, things that are going to help them draw closer to prayer. Oftentimes, it's the humanistic. It's the horizontal things. And what we've done is we've turned the most beautiful, powerful sacrifice ever given to the human family. We've turned it again into some type of zoo or circus. The Holy Spirit is calling for the exact opposite. And we have not seen what the Holy Spirit has asked for within the life of the church yet. Now, as we talk about Sunday worship, we have to address a really critical area. There are times when out of necessity, Mother Church will allow for Sunday Mass on Saturday evening. Now, this is a long history. I'm just giving you the bullet points. This all started actually with Sunday evening masses. So what happened during the Industrial Revolution, a lot of Catholics, they couldn't get to mass on Sunday. Raw capitalism does not respect faith. And so they said, well, we're going to have to do something. So the church allowed permissions for Sunday night. And then after World War II, when Europe was being rebuilt, Sunday evening masses became very popular. And then it became a necessity under communist regimes. Communism does not honor the Sabbath. People work seven days a week. I know we have some spiritual communists around, don't we, right? No respect for the Sabbath. So in communist countries, believers had to go to Mass on Sunday evening. And the reason why this became a big deal is because some of our older Catholics will remember the Eucharistic fast used to be from midnight. So if someone couldn't get to Mass till Sunday night, they would have to fast the entire day. And if they're working, that becomes dangerous. So in order to have a Sunday evening Mass, there had to be permissions. So the Pope gave permissions for Sunday evening Mass. And that was considered earth-shattering. Sunday evening? We don't worship on Sunday evening. 
But out of necessity, especially again under communist regimes, the church permitted it. Well, then what happened eventually, people were saying, well, why can't we have Saturday evening masses? Now, let me tell you, first, we have had Saturday evening masses in the tradition of the church, what are called vigils. People call Saturday night a vigil. It's not a vigil. A vigil is a completely different mass, completely different readings, completely different prayers. It's a vigil for a high feast day. So, for example, the Easter vigil. You know that mass that a lot of people don't go to because it's too long? (laughs) That's a proper vigil. There's a proper vigil for Pentecost. We've never seen it. If I try to do the vigil for Pentecost, people would freak out because it would be long. It's a vigil. There's a vigil for St. John the Baptist. There's a vigil for the Immaculate Conception. We've lost the vigils. And we've called Saturday Night Mass vigils. They're not vigils. That's a misnomer. And also some of our older Catholics might remember that there were times when Catholics would be married on Saturday night. So the nuptial mass would happen on Saturday night and the pastor would give a dispensation for Sunday mass because people attended the nuptial mass on Saturday night. So people began to say, well, if we have these vigils and we have nuptial masses, can't we have mass on Saturday night? The church said no. They asked again, the church said no. But then it became out of necessity because now Catholics weren't able to get to mass even on Sunday night. I want to stress, this is principally in communistic regimes where the church is doing her best in order to meet the faithful where they are so that they can receive the grace of the sacraments. So eventually the church said, okay, we'll allow masses on Saturday night only out of necessity so that people can get the mass. If they have to work all day on Sunday or in some cases they're the caregiver for someone on Sunday, then they can go on Saturday night. And look where we are now. The most people approach Saturday evening masses out of necessity. Most people have now just allowed that to become habit. In fact, there are some Catholics who can't recall the last time they went to mass on Sunday morning because they've just gotten in the habit of going on Saturday night, which is not the preference of the church. You know, it's interesting when we look at Saturday evening masses, we can see the harm that they've done. Because people go to Saturday night in order to get it out of the way, and then they do whatever they want on Sunday. They've lost the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not just worship. The height of the Sabbath is worship, but there's a whole other aspect of the Sabbath that we have to make sure we observe. And when we go to Mass on Saturday night, all that becomes threatened. We begin to lose it. Now, every once in a while, I'll hear people say this. Well, the church allows for the Saturday evening Mass because, you know... Uh, in Judaism, the Sabbath be- would begin at nightfall. Some of you have heard that, I'm sure, right? That's why the church can do this. Would it surprise you to know that, the mo- that Mother Church has never given that argument or that teaching? Never. That's not how the church sees why she offers Saturday evening Mass. In fact, we should avoid it because theologians tell us that if we argue that, we are actually running into the risk of anti-Semitism. Because that's not how our Jewish forebears, our Jewish neighbors, understand the Sabbath. That is an incomplete understanding of the Sabbath. And the church has never used that argument. So if you've heard that argument, it was, I hope, a well-intentioned pastor trying to explain something. Because, wait a minute, if it's not that reason, then what's the theological reason for a Saturday evening Mass? There isn't one. 
There isn't one. Well, wait, 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 wait. Then how do we have Saturday evening masses? This is going to really shock you. It is a raw exercise of the church's authority that she stretches the Sabbath in order to include Saturday night. And it is rare, and the church should be cautious in exercising her authority in such a way. But Mother Church does that because she's a mother. Because she wants to make sure that her children will always receive the sacraments. So rather than looking at Saturday evening as the Catholic Church abandoning the Sabbath, or the Catholic Church is going way casual, or the Catholic Church not caring about the integrity of worship, now let's put it in its proper context that no, the Church is calling us to Sunday worship, but because she cares for us, she allows out of necessity the option of a Saturday evening Mass when it's truly needed. That puts everything in its proper perspective. Just so you are aware that this is not this priest's own opinion, I'd like to quote the church herself to you. Here's how Mother Church explains things. Where permission has been granted by the Apostolic See to fulfill the Sunday obligation on the preceding Saturday evening, and by the way, that can only come from the Holy Father, as Vicar of Christ. So it's the Pope alone exercising that authority can allow, who can allow this. Pastors should explain the meaning of this permission carefully to the faithful and should ensure that the significance of Sunday is not thereby obscured or neglected. Has that been your experience? That when the Saturday evening masses began, did the pastors at the time carefully explain to you why this permission was being given so that the significance of Sunday would not be obscured or neglected? Most, most Catholics did not receive that instruction. It was just presented as one more option. Hey, if this works for your family, or hey, you have other stuff to do on Sunday, hey, hey, the game's on, you know, on Sunday, you can do this, right? And that's where we left the Sabbath. Mother Church is giving clear instructions. And notice who she's directing this to. Pastors. Pastors should explain the meaning of this permission carefully. I sometimes wonder and pray for my brother priest. Team Grace, let me help you in terms of my vocation. I will be judged before God on how faithful I am to the instructions given to me by the church. The church is telling me here what I'm supposed to be doing. If I don't fulfill my obligation, I could go to hell. Just as if you don't fulfill the obligations of your state in life, you can go to hell. So we have to make sure that we are very attentive and here is a clear instruction. Pastors should explain the meaning of this permission carefully to the faithful and should ensure that the significance of Sunday is not thereby obscured or neglected. Oh, but wait, wait, the church isn't done. The purpose of this concession is in fact to enable the Christians of today to celebrate more easily the day of the resurrection of the Lord in the midst of hardship. That's, that's the permission, dear friends. Mother Church wants us here on Sunday morning. She wants the domestic church to be united in the parish church as together we offer the sacrifice. Mother Church wants to see the local parish to look like this. In the past, our older parishioners have been on Saturday night and our young families in the middle-aged have been here on Sunday morning. I shared before, there was one older parishioner who said to me, 
that when she started coming to Sunday morning mass, she was shocked by how many children we have in this parish. Because there was a whole part of the parish's life that she didn't know, even though she was a member of this parish. This is what the church prefers. I can just say, Team Grace, you look beautiful. You look beautiful. This is how God wants us to present ourselves to him on the Sabbath, as a community of faith, one small part of the universal church, fulfilling its duty, honoring the Sabbath, and presenting itself for worship. Now, friends, I'm not here to cause problems or to cause confusion or to disrupt people's schedules or to make people needlessly uncomfortable, but we have to get the Sabbath right. We're starting to lose the Sabbath, even within the household of faith. As we hear Our Lady Grace for Lent, as we've committed, we're going to walk through the Sabbath step by step. This weekend, we started with worship, the highest thing we do on the Sabbath. Not the only thing, but the highest. And now for the next, of, next Sundays of Lent, we're going to walk step by step through all the other different parts of the Sabbath. What does God want us to do on his day? What instruction is the church giving to us in order to honor the Sabbath, to present ourselves for worship, to have that rest in order to receive the blessings that he desires to give us? So I encourage you as families, as disciples of the Lord, recommit yourself to the Sabbath and allow yourselves to reclaim its graces in your own hearts and in your homes.